Take your Bibles and go with me to James chapter 2. Um, we have a fascination with celebrities in America today, but uh, not just in America at large. We also seem to have that fascination in churches. And that's no different, really, from the earliest days of our church history, but uh, especially this day and age seems to be a big deal. How many of you have heard the name and know the person of Mark Lowry? I know this is old. Yeah, raise your hand. Let me get a good picture. Okay, so years ago, um, I was part of a group of guys who planned and conducted uh, youth camps during the summer. So two weeks of every summer was given over to uh, hundreds of teenagers going to this camp that we worked from out in South Texas outside of Corpus Christi, actually about 45 minutes or so from Corpus Christi. And um, one of the things that we did for those camps every year was bring in some concert artists to do a one-night concert for the teenagers at that camp. And uh, we tried to get some who were at the top of their game, so to speak, in those days. And uh, Mark Lowry was one of those guys that we brought in. And um, it was kind of a, a unique situation because this camp was, as I said, 45 minutes from Corpus Christi, which put it... Which put it pretty much out in the middle of nowhere. And um, Corpus Christi is not the largest airport around. It rivals Beaumont probably for activity. And um, so to get flights in and out of there was not easy. Long and short of that was that Mark Lowry had to come uh, one afternoon for that, af- for that evening concert and then um, spend the night there and catch an early flight out the next morning. He was with the Gaither Vocal Band back in those days. Maybe he still is. I don't know. But um, So uh, we had a chance to kind of rub shoulders with him, not just on the normal concert-goer thing, but one-on-one. And after that concert that night when all the kids were in their cabins and supposedly bunked up, uh, the staff guys and our wives gathered in a small room, and Mark Lowry was there with us, and we had a late dinner and had the chance to spend probably, I guess, a couple of hours with him. And let me just tell you, he's more funny in person than he is in a concert setting. The guy was absolutely hilarious. Um, and it was a great experience. But I have to tell you, I was a little awestruck with the process. I'm sitting there at this little camp table across the uh, table from this guy who was, uh, you know, one of those big names. We're all a little bit starstruck, uh, even those of us who think we're not. Uh, so in the course of that discussion, we got around to that night, who was going to take him to the airport the next morning. And, uh, those other camp guys, um, how would I say this? I I was the only morning guy in the bunch. You understand the morning person? I'm the guy that my, I didn't say that you agree with them. I just, I'm the Right after we got married, Teresa had this comment to me one more early one morning. She looked across the table at me and she said, I'm not ready to talk yet. <laughs> so we agreed then that she would sleep late and I'd get up and everybody was happy that way. So I was the only one of these camp guys who uh, was a morning person. And the fact that we had to get him up and on the road about 5 o'clock in the morning... Uh, nominated me to be the one to take him to the airport. And I'm thinking, yeah, of course, me, me and him in a car together. How funny could it be? Um, so Teresa came with us as a chaperone, I'm guessing. But uh, 
So we're on our way into Corpus, 45-minute drive to the airport, and I'm talking to him, and, you know, he's being nice in the front seat, and Teresa's in the back, and about halfway there, Mark Lowry looked at me, and he said, you're one of them morning people, aren't you? <laughs> so I don't really like that guy too much. Um, but that's my claim to fame, is I got to... Uh, be insulted by a celebrity. We're all a little bit starstruck. I think, I think that that, I don't know what causes that, but maybe it's part of it is if, if we can identify with a big shot person like that, maybe we are a little more of a big shot. I don't really know what the psychology of that is. But apparently it's part of the human condition because we go all the way back to the early days of the church. We find this in the New Testament. Paul talks about it and uh, these itinerant preachers who would go around and churches would latch on to them without really doing due diligence on whether they should be listened to or not. And, uh, and we find it in James. Here we're in chapter 2 of James and we finally get into the second chapter now. And we've been looking at James as he talks to us about the faith that we have and the fact that it has to work in real life. We've entitled the series, It Works, because that's really the thrust that James gives us throughout this. He says, your faith, that that body of belief that you have, that Jesus is the center of, your faith has to work. It cannot be something that you just tag it in your mental filing cabinet and then file it away. that, That is not how it works. It has to work itself out in your everyday life. And we saw last week these, these practical ways that James is showing us it has to work in this way. And like last week, we, we saw your faith has to work in your mouth. You, you can't just say the stuff that you want to say. The, the faith that you have in Jesus Christ has to work its way and control your tongue. So now we find in this passage we get to today this bigger theme now that he goes, and he'll be elaborating on it as we go. But now he says essentially to us, your faith has to work in the way that you do church. If, if I, how many of you know who Charles Stanley is? Okay, hands down. How about Beth Moore? Anybody know who Beth Moore is? Okay, now honestly, okay, now wait a minute. This is Pastor Appreciation Month. Okay, so appreciate your pastor by not answering this question. All right, no, hand, no show of hands, nothing like that. But honestly, if Charles Stanley were to walk into the back or Beth Moore would walk, wouldn't you rather hear them preach than me? Okay, don't, see, somebody raise their hand. I told you don't do that. All right, and I'm okay with that. Um, everybody needs to hear good preaching sometime. But... But that, that ties to this fascination we have. We, we have our favorite preachers, and we have our favorite teachers, and we have our favorite authors. And uh, James has something to say about that. And so I, I pushed out on social media last night that uh, I felt pretty sure there was going to be a celebrity sighting at church today. And I've seen that that's true. Speaking of Charles Stanley, here No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Maybe I should clarify this word, and then I'm going to read a little bit for you in a second, but let me, let me clarify the word that I'm using here. Because I'm talking about that person, that one in a hundred or one in a thousand or one in ten thousand kind of personality that rises above the crowd and you know, they stick out and, and people of multiple steps and phases of life look at them and they tie into them. 
that's celebrity as we think about it. I think that James here points us into a direction where we need to pull that picture down. And celebrity not so much as that big profile, big name person, but that person in your life that you look for. That person when you come to church allows you to look past other people as you're looking for that person. That person that allows you to walk past without a word other people because you see that person who is your friend and you want to go talk to them. That's the celebrity in your life that I want to tie in on today. And in fact, all of us have those celebrities, or most of us today. So here's what James has to say. Verse 1 is his base teaching point. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. The key word here for us is not so much celebrity as I pulled it out, but it's this word, it's this focus that he has for us in this section about not showing partiality. In other words, having those people that are our preferred people. And James says you can't do that. If your faith works, you can't be showing partiality at church. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Now, that's the teaching. Verses 2 through 7 now take us into this expanded example that he gives us. And he gives it in one arena. And don't miss the point here. His point is about showing partiality. His example is this rich and poor and the distinguishing that some churches and that particular church or group of churches he was writing to did. So verse 2 through 7 reads this way. So, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly... And a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? And so James gives us this expanded teaching, but the basic teaching is in verse 1. Don't show partiality. I'm going to pull it off of the rich and the poor this morning because um, realistically, first of all, I don't know whether you're rich or poor. Uh, Secondly, I don't care whether you're rich or poor. Um, And thirdly, I think as a church that we don't really make those distinctions too much, or at least I don't see that. That's not to say that we're off the hook on this partiality thing because I think this is a problem in every church in every generation. James is teaching that point that we have of, of seeing people and latching on to certain ones while we dismiss other ones, the celebrities versus the non-counts. James' teaching lands squarely in our, rap, our laps, I think. So let me come about it this way, because I, I think there's some basic church um, functioning that we need to get on the table here. 
You've heard me say uh, on multiple counts, and if you continue to let me preach, you're going to hear it more and more as we go, this base level of functioning that I think we must have as Christians. Here's the saying that I give you. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life and specifically the life that only he can give. You heard that before? All right. So the point of that is, if you're just here and you, you know, just kind of started coming here, maybe you hadn't heard that before, here's the point of that. We as Christian people are always called to be on mission. We are in the process in every day and every step of our lives taking the good news of Jesus Christ out into a world that desperately needs it. Now, I can take you to multiple places in Scripture. We tend to go to the Great Commission over in the book of Matthew, and we're called to make disciples, and part of making disciples is getting out into the world. Now, see, that in itself is a new piece of information for a lot of churches because many churches are comfortable to just pull in, build walls, and say, we're good where we're at. Thank you. Let's let nobody else in. You don't have that option as a Christian person. So God, in every step and every phase of your life, puts you into circles of people who need to know him, people that we would say in church language, lost people. If you're not in a circle of lost people, then that means you are under-functioning as a Christian. But most of us have those, whether it's on the job or in our extended families or in our neighborhoods or at school, we all have those people who need Jesus Christ. God has strategically placed you in a circle of people who desperately need life. But I want to give you a corollary to that. Because as that one applies to us in our life outside of the church, there is a truth tied to this idea of functioning in circles, uh, circles of people that is, that hits us inside the church. Here's the statement I want you to get. Every healthy church has numerous circles in which people function. Every healthy church has numerous circles or groups of people in which people function. Let's do this to let let me show you what I'm talking about. And I'll come back to a couple of statements to it in just a second. But let's try this little exercise. You've been wanting to know who's here and who's wearing what. So just look around the room a little bit right now. I'll give you full permission to do that. Nobody's thinking you're being nosy now or anything like that. As you look around the room, you will find that there are people in this church, in this room at this time that you know. And if you had to give their name, you could do it. Right? I didn't see anybody looking around. Did y'all, not, y'all missed that part of the assignment, right? There are people in here that you know. And the longer you've been here, the chances are good that that circle's a little bit bigger than what it might have been when you first got here. All right? Even some of you who have not been coming all that long, you can look around and you may not know names, but you know faces and you know people that have talked to you or you've talked to them on several occasions. But also every one of us who are in here, and this includes even those who have been here for the longest amount of time, can look around this room and you can find people. And if your life depended on you telling us who they are, you could not do that. Right? The answer or the reason that those are both true for us is because we operate in circles. There's a sociological element to this. There's a psychological element to this. But the group dynamics of this remind us that we can only sustain so many relationships at a time. And if it gets bigger than that, then those relationships start kind of tapering off. Now, 
There's a positive and a negative element to this that I want to talk about, but I want you to make sure that you're with me so far. Those circles of people in which you operate in this church uh, help this church to be healthy. Maybe. If they're handled well, they help us to be healthy. I had a discussion with the deacons the other night. We're doing some work as we work into the new year, new church year that is. Uh, and I was talking about this concept. And, and part of my belief as to the way God has designed the church and called deacons, I mean supernaturally, divinely called these guys to service for the church and for the kingdom of God, is one of the things that makes a deacon work in a local church is his circle. Because we have deacons all across. I'm looking across here and we see all kinds of deacons, some who are called and ordained and some of them who should be. And you guys operate in a circle of people. And one guy's circle of people is not the next guy's circle of people. There may be some overlap, but each of you have relationships. And so what makes us effective is as you do God's work in your circle, uh, that becomes the ministry center of that circle. Everybody with me on that? Okay. I know you feel like you're sitting in a, like a college class or something, but it's really important that we get this. So think, before I go any further, I want you to think about your circle. Who are those people in your circle that are celebrities? They may just be regular people in real life, but in your eyes, they're celebrities. And when you come to church, you're looking for those people. When I was in seminary the last time, uh, I was privileged to sit under some teaching from Dr. Terry York who uh, is a, an exceptional musician in his own right. Uh, he was a minister of music in churches for a long time. He worked for the, what used to be called the Sunday School Board for Southern Baptist Life. And uh, he has written some songs that are published and in hymnals all across Southern Baptist Convention. But uh, as good as he was as a musician, he was excellent as a leader and as a teacher on leadership. And at one point in his life, he was the executive pastor at Park City's Baptist Church, which is in the Highland Park area of Dallas, uh, all those millionaires that live out around White Rock Lake and that area. And Dr. York was the executive pastor there, which means he wasn't the guy who did all the preaching, but he was the guy that took care of all of the administrative kind of stuff, or at least led that staff. At one point, he said he had 40 ordained ministers on staff under his authority, under his leadership. Here's a guy who knows about leadership. And he was talking about that church and this mega church with thousands and thousands of people who are part of the life of that church every week. And here I was struggling to pastor and figure out what I was doing in this small church down in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And so I pulled him aside at lunch one day and I said, Dr. York, um, how do you do church on the big scale like that? I struggle with our people in a church that runs, you know, 300 people on Sunday or 400 people on Sunday and getting our people to be together. Uh, how do you do that? And he said, we learned that you have to have hundreds, if not thousands, of little churches inside your big church. Well, that didn't compute for me, which is probably why I was in a little church, or at least one of the reasons, in a little church, because I couldn't think on that big scale. Here's his point. 
You can't have multiple hundreds of relationships with other people on a deep level. And so they knew that in their church they had to have these circle of people, little churches he called them, who functioned. Now we might call them Sunday school classes or we might call them the church softball team or we might call them whatever, these small group things that we had that people get into. Let me just stop for a second and say to you, if you happen to be a guest with us and you're kind of sampling Crestwood and do I like them or not, let me tell you, we're going to try to get you into a circle. Okay? All cards on the table. Can a Baptist preacher talk about cards on the table? (laughs) Full disclosure. We want you in a circle of people. Because it's the circle of people where ministry happens and discipleship happens at the best level. So we have Sunday school classes and we have other options. Just so you know, one of the things as we go into this new church year that we've decided in the office part of the staff to do is every couple of months or so we're going to do a lunch meeting after this service. And we're going to invite people who have either recently joined or people who are just in the process of checking us out whether they like us or not, and we're going to have a lunch meeting for those people to try to encourage them to know more about who we are. You know why we do that? Because we want them in circles. So this circle idea is a good thing until and unless that circle gets closed off. You know what to call in the church dynamic what you call a closed-off circle? A click. Does that have a negative connotation to you? When I say click, your mind ought to go, click, I ain't doing that. I ain't going to a church that's known to be clickish. First of all, good luck with that. But secondly, I get it. So is James saying that because clicks, okay, let me reshuffle the definition deck for you again. A clique is nothing other than a group of people who have said, these people are my celebrities, and I don't care about anybody else. Well, it's not that I don't care about anybody else. It's just that I'm not going to make room for anybody else. So as James saying then, verse 1 again, here's the teaching. My brother, show no partiality as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Is he saying then that just do away with all of those circles? I say no. We find too many other places in Scripture where, where, where we're encouraged, we're admonished, we're taught to invest ourselves in each other. You can't do that without this natural sociological thing happening of, okay, we start grouping off. James, I don't think, is saying you can't have them. James is saying that you can't have circles where people are dismissed. I'll give you an example of that. Most of you know, many of you know, our oldest son, Brandon. Um, Brandon is in the final days of his first year from being divorced. Uh, he has, our, our granddaughter will be three in a week or two. And uh, so over the last year, many of you have been praying for Brandon and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, I believe, Teresa and I have talked about, we believe that his spiritual state is stronger now than maybe it's ever been. And I believe that that's just the grace of God who's stepped into the pain of his situation and just brought him along. Um, and he came not too long ago and he was telling me about his process of visiting churches. 
uh, and he lives over in the woodlands. Well, he lives in Conroe now, but at the time he lived in the area of the woodlands. And so he started visiting these churches. Uh, and he got to this one church, and man, they got it right. As he's pulling into their property, uh, there was a sign that said something like this. Uh, if you're a guest with us today, turn on your flashers on your car. So he did. Mackenzie was in her car seat in the back seat. Brandon turned on his flash and he pulls up and there's this choke point. And there's some men standing there or people standing there. Uh, and this one guy looks in and he stops Brandon when he gets to him. He reaches in and he said, so you're a guest with us today? And Brandon said, yeah. And the guy notices Mackenzie in the back and makes a comment or two. He said, okay, well, uh, our child care area is over in this part of the facility. So if you'll just follow th- this way, there'll be somebody over there to guide you. And, and they'll meet you at your car when you get there to help you get her where she needs to go. And so he did that. The guy gets on a walkie-talkie. He sends a message ahead. And so he gets over there, and Brandon parks. And before he can get out of the car, there's somebody meeting him there. And they're talking to McKenzie, and they're talking to him. And they take him, and they walk him to this check-in desk. And they fill out the cards while Brandon is, you know, talking to them. And they're getting to know him a little bit. And so they take McKenzie and Brandon together to show where she's going to be. And they drop him off, and they take him Uh, And they've done everything just right to say, you are welcome here. And he goes into the worship center where there's people there. It's it's almost time for the church to start, not exactly right. But he goes in, and, you know, it's kind of one of those like this, right? So there's like, what, 10,000 people here this morning? um, But he finds a spot where there's a space I'll choose this one right here. It's right here in front of me where Lee and Nina are sitting right here. So Brandon, there's some people sitting like that, and Brandon goes and sits right in front of them on a fully empty aisle. I mean, seat, row. Thank you. And so he sits down, and as soon as Brandon sits down, this church has done everything right to say, welcome to us. He sits down, and some knucklehead behind... Okay, just that was an editorial comment. I don't know if the guy's really... This guy leans forward and he says to Brandon, I'm sorry, those chairs are reserved. You're going to have to sit somewhere else. James says, show no partiality. Now, here's how I know that Brandon has progressed in his spiritual development. (laughs) Beyond his dad. I promise you, I would have said, Hey, no problem. And I would have gotten up and I'd have walked out the doors of that church and I never would have gone back. Now, he's more spiritually progressed than I am because he said, okay, and he moved and went and sat somewhere else. There's a picture of a church that wants to spread the circle and keep, here's here's a term for you, permeable edges. Keep pushing it out and where people can always find their way into your circle. Because the moment that you close that circle off and nobody gets in, you're in chapter 2, verse 1 of James's teaching. You have shown partiality. The difference between a click and a healthy circle is a healthy circle always makes room for more. But I'm going to take it a step further than that, and I'm going to say that a healthy circle always wants more in it. So James uses rich and poor as the example, but we find that the teaching lands squarely in the lap of the 21st century East Texas church. 
I know that my time's about out, so let me see if I can dive to the finish line with a couple of quick statements for you. Let's try this on for size. It's raining outside. Can you hear that? If you left here and you saw me walking down the road in the rain, would you, oh, wait a minute, don't answer out loud. <laughs> would you stop and offer me a ride? Most of you know that uh, I'm going to see a neurosurgeon tomorrow. Uh, chances are good that I'll have to have back surgery. It would be my second round at that if that happens. Uh, we'll see what that guy says. But that's one of the reasons I'm sitting here today instead of trying to stand up and preach. That's why I'm, uh, but all of that, I can only stand for so long. I can only sit for so long before I have issues. My leg buckles under me and some of those kind of things. And um, so at times, I just have to change, and eventually I just have to go try to walk some of it off. And so that happened to me yesterday. I've been watching the Baylor game, and um, I just had to get out and walk, and it was raining, so I went walking around our neighborhood, and it was amazing the number of people that drove past me walking in the rain It would put on their brakes, and I could see them looking, <laughs> and then they would just drive on. Would you please stop and pick me up if you see me walking? But most of us, if it was somebody we did not know, let's say that it's somebody you don't know and they look like one of those homeless people, vagabonds with the big gnarly beard. Well, (laughs) and you don't know and you're a lady driving by yourself and this guy looks dangerous, would you stop? And most of us would say no. And most of us as, parents, as husbands would say, don't stop in that situation. Why? Because it's dangerous. All right, as true as that is, let me give us the caution statement here. One of the reasons that we build our nice little groups that become cliques in churches and we don't let anybody else in because we're concerned that those other people are dangerous to what we have created. And while that might be a smart thing while you're driving down the road, it's not a smart thing when it comes to how you do church. Just for grins, look around. Is there anybody in this building today that you wish wasn't here? So where do we get this? What's the biblical point of reference here? Let's go ahead and have our musicians start coming up. I'm going to finish up here. But um, here's where James gets this. If, you, if you've heard all of this, you're going, okay, yeah, that's good, but where's the biblical basis for this? James gives it to us in verses 8 and following. So now he says, remember all of that, the, the teaching in verse 1, 2 through 7 is the example of the poor and the rich. Verse 8 says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, and if you don't know what the royal law is, he quotes it for you next. It's the second of what Jesus called the two great commandments. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's in verse 8. That's the second great commandment. That's Leviticus 19, 18. And with all of that, James says, if you really fulfill that law, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. Transgressors. The language that John uses, or James uses in verse 1. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That in our Lord Jesus Christ means the way Jesus did it. Where would we be if Jesus was partial? Where would we be 
if Jesus kept his little circle of disciples and nobody else got in? Let's pray. And as we pray, I would invite you to wear the truth of this sermon. How are you at making circles bigger? You ever find yourself walking past people at church to get to people that you want to talk to? Father, we ask you to teach us and to grow us. Make us a, a church, a people who are really good at handling people. Not in a manipulative kind of way, but just in a way that reflects your love and your grace and who you are. Help us to be really good at loving people. And if you happen to be out there today and you're one of those people looking for a circle, I say welcome home to you. A lot of people in this church are really good at loving people. So we encourage you to find them. Better yet, let them find you. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's where you start. If you don't know what that means, even you want to talk about it, this is what we call the invitation time. Now, we're going to have some worship in here through song over the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, Aaron and I will be in the back. We'll have others available to talk with you. Uh, and we'll pray for you. We'll counsel with you if that's what you need. If you're one of those people who needs Jesus, why don't you make that choice today? Just meet us in the back for you. We'll talk. If you're one of those people who has been really good at closing circles down, cliquish by nature, you need to repent of that. And repent doesn't just mean to acknowledge it, it means to change. Let's be good at this. What do you say? Let's sing.